Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, hey, hey. It's Faye OJ, and you're tuned into The Motion, where we get conversation moving in the best way possible. From music to culture to politics to fashion, no conversation is off the table. And this podcast is guaranteed to get your emotions in motion. Each week, I'm joined by some guests with conflicting opinions, and they engage in a little bit of tug of war with my opinion, hoping to sway my vote to their side. When you think of trolls on social media, the names Casey Hopkins and Donald Trump are probably plastered in your mind. And today, we're going to be looking at whether it's up to users to personally block these trolls or social media sites to permanently ban them. There's also the double standards of TikTok's algorithm, which seems to favour racist content at the same time as banning activist content. Debating this with me today, I have Tom. All right, all. How are we doing this fine day? And Pranav. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Pranav and Tom are co-hosts of the Spicy Takes podcast. They are too soon to be PPE, aka philosophy, politics and economics graduates, whose podcast uses academic theory mixed with meme culture to help people make sense of the crazy world that we live in. They're also now realising that I stole these words verbatim from their YouTube description. Yeah, I was about to say, you've written it so well. Before we get into the opening statements, just so we can all get a little bit of insight into how your minds work, I want to ask what what is the most embarrassing social media post that you are allowed to publicly say without fear of being cancelled? When's this coming out? I've got two <laughs> interviews next week. So the most embarrassing thing I can probably publicly say is back in the day when I was 13, 14, we used to do FIFA forfeits. And there was one called the OXO Cube Challenge where there was a footballer called Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. And if somebody scored a hat trick on FIFA with Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, you had to eat an OXO cube. I ended up having to upload it to Facebook, me crying, having to eat an OXO cube. It was beef, just clarifying. There was beef afterwards with my mum. I drank beer afterwards to, to down it, and down the horrible taste. Wait, at 13? Yeah, don't ask me why. <laughs> Pranav, can you beat that? I don't know if I can beat that, to be honest, but I think probably the worst was that she-wolf by Sia and David Guetta was the greatest piece of art that had ever been produced. Did you not see David Guetta's latest remix of Martin Luther King? I'd say that tops it. That ended racism, honestly. Like, I went shopping and no one followed me around after that was released. <laughs> Just so you guys aren't alone, I was really bratty as a 12-year-old and my school decided to cut our summer holidays two weeks short. I responded by making a Facebook group campaigning against a certain teacher. My lawyers have said I cannot state the full name of the Facebook group, but let's just say I wanted him removed. And so um, my account was taken away from me. But we've all grown up now, so let's get into these opening statements. A rough summary of what Tom and Pranav think. Tom believes that the onus lies on these social media sites, whereas Pranav is representing the other side. It's a pretty timely question. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen the removal of Kate Hopkins from Twitter, the far-right activist Stefan Molyneux on YouTube. This has basically demonstrated that social media companies aren't afraid to clamp their foot down on those that don't play by community guidelines. And this matters because language matters. It's a form of expression that underpins our development as a species. And it can also reinforce certain forms of hierarchy. And my side of the debate today only has to convince you that every now and then, just every now and then, 
this should be regulated within the digital space. This means you can be pro-free speech whilst also being in favour of this side of the motion. Say you're a young woman that's getting harassed on Twitter for having an opinion. If it gets enough traction, you can be abused, targeted with misogynistic hate and gaslit in a disgraceful manner. The other side of this motion will claim that the digital space should attempt to reflect the, the public sphere. If a man approached a woman in the street, shouting in her face, refusing to stop, we would undoubtedly get the authorities involved. So here, social media companies have a moral duty to exercise their power and discipline or ban these accounts. I think there's a key distinction that we have to make here between free speech and hate speech. It's already illegal to use words that are threatening and abusive, that intend to harass and distress people. However, I think we can all agree that there is a spectrum. So on the one side, there's things which are very clearly abhorrent. Things like posting child pornography or threatening rape. On the other hand, there's perfectly acceptable things, like posting a picture of your dog. But what I want to talk about here is the sort of grey area, so which some people would deem racist, sexist, or uh, misinforming the public, but others would not. And therefore, when social media companies try to ban such people, it's contentious. The question here is not, as Tom said, in the marginal case, what we should do, but the question here is which should be our preferred course of action in these grey areas? Should we try to foster constructive debate? Should we try to educate? Or should we try to immediately ban? If you believe that Twitter is a battleground of ideas and that people are generally open to being criticised and can have their opinions changed, then in these grey areas, I believe the House should side with this side. Loving all the formal debate terminology, but it's now time for me to stir the pot a little bit and get those cordialities out the way. I'm now going to dig a little deeper and get Tom and Pranav on their feet with some of these questions. What free speech means today is very different from a world where you had a state and then you had the public and anyone who sort of wanted to fight for the people would often do so like in the name of free speech. But I think in today's world, there are private parties, there's politics, there's the state, there's basically like a multiplicity of players. And so I just wanted to ask what free speech means to you, honestly, in today's world. It is the only way that we can preserve civil liberties. If you look somewhere like China, would you want Weibo, the Chinese equivalent of Twitter, to be banning accounts. No, you wouldn't, because often these people are fighting for their rights. I think Hong Kong is the perfect example of what free speech means to me. When you can go out in public and just by holding a banner, which says that you want democratic rights, you can be put in prison. I think that shows the value of free speech. Are you calling Katie Hopkins a liberation activist? Are you making that equivocation? Plenty of room for the back and forth in the second half of this debate. <laughs> Yesterday I watched Fox News for the first time and <laughs> it was genuinely hilarious. And I genuinely hadn't heard people try and put like A and Z together to make like 14 <laughs> in a while. You're a math student, aren't you as well? So. I am, I am a math student. <laughs> I think we hear this term a lot. We live in an echo chamber. I understand that people are impressionable, but I just feel like deleting Katie Hopkins' account, it doesn't delete the millions of followers that she had. There are still those people out there who think that, who are not gonna get their accounts banned because no one really cares about them. So I think that banning Katie Hopkins doesn't ban these things and having her account there is sort of like an insight to a world that we're not going to have access to just following the people that we follow. I disagree with Pranav's attempt to shift the goalposts on, on the motion. It's not about necessarily all the time. It's about finding the odd case where this actually matters. And actually, the, you've got to ask the question, which is what principles underpin the motivation behind banning? I think that's a really important question to ask because my approach is more about harm. 
So I think you should be able to do whatever you want as long as you're not harming other people. And there are certain accounts on Twitter where if you are putting out such bile that it's encouraging people to go out and commit acts of violence or harm other people, I think this is a good example to think about. David Icke at the moment is spreading conspiracy theories about the coronavirus, and that is harmful because people will hear what he's saying and think, oh, it's all all right, it's a government conspiracy, and therefore I'm going to go out and live my life normally. I'll get the coronavirus, I'll then come into contact with someone else, give them it, and that is harming people. So in those cases, I think the social media companies have an imperative to ban because it's going to have these huge social ramifications uh, if they're allowed to stay. Just on the topic of harm, obviously something that, you know, we heard a lot when we were growing up is sticks and stones may break my bones, words will never hurt me. I think this is an example of when a motto or a proverb has just been completely taken away from its origin. So this was said so that people who wanted to like fight on the behalf of other people or fight for social change shouldn't be afraid of the haters that may come their way. Human nature twisted it around to make it seem like no matter what anyone tells you, it can't hurt you. Words often lead to sticks and stones. If you're inciting hatred and you're inciting violence, that is already illegal in the UK. And there's been hundreds of people over the past years who have been fined and charged by the police for words that have said on social media. What we're really discussing here is sort of the grey area. And in those situations, I believe that the primary way they can act is not to ban. You can suspend, you can put the watermark saying this has potentially harmful things, don't look at it if you're going to be triggered by it. If there's misinformation, what YouTube does is, beneath the video, it says coronavirus, go to the NHS to learn about this, or climate change, go to the Wikipedia to learn about this. You don't have to ban people, you just have to slightly nudge to provide the information in the right way. If you're saying blanket case, should we first ban people, or should we, users on their own, block people, it's much better to not ban, provide information, and allow users to block whenever they want to. Sort of maximise the choice that is available to the consumer. And that's a way to sort of, I guess, profit off fake news, but there's sort of like a whole nother world that's being created online. Online is now real life. I think before it was a lot more separate and now it's sort of just conflated like the two things, especially in lockdown. And so I think that we cannot just rely on real life police to police what happens online. We're not going to go into the troubles of policing right now, but where they're supposed to, I don't think they answer all the questions. So I feel like, should it reflect what's happening in real life or do we need to create a whole new world of law and regulation online? The conversation should not be, how many people can we ban? The conversation should be, how can we better identify the people who are being problematic and convince them that they are problematic? The algorithm needs to show people not only things that they agree with. If they're looking at a, a tweet that is extremist on one side, there should be something below which just states the other opinion. That, I think, would be incredibly beneficial to society, increasing the efficiency of the marketplace of ideas, let's say. So you always have that available for people to see. Tom, another point that you raised is that, you know, we shouldn't have a blanket rule, but we should narrow in on, say, like, the big bad wolves of Twitter trolling. Spotify basically removed XXX Tentacion and R. Kelly as well. I think they removed their music from their playlist. And then what X did is basically list everyone who had ever had a sexual assault 
allegation against them and Spotify ended up looking kind of hypocritical and not really having like a concrete plan and I think what happens is when you focus on like these few bad apples in air quotes you sort of take away an opportunity for Spotify to actually have like a transparent regulation on how they deal with um, artists who have been accused of sexual assault or artists who have hate speech etc because it sort of just becomes like this performative thing where we've removed one bad apple without actually zooming in on what the actual issue is. I think you raise an important point and the question should be is this a reaction or is it being proactive? This is a big problem with quote-unquote woke capitalism in the sense that they will just see what's going on on Twitter and then put out a, a black square. This sort of structural stuff isn't addressed. So I would actually agree with um, with what you're saying there. It doesn't, that doesn't justify not getting rid of them in the first place, but it means that it can't be the only thing. You need to have it supplementing other serious reforms. Pranav and Tom are literally itching to cross-examine each other, so we're going to get into the main debate a lot faster this episode. Before we do, though, we've got a voice note in from one of our listeners, Genevieve, reacting to episode three of this season, Friendship Ending Food Fights. Hey, um, so I'm a big fan of the motion, and I really liked the episode where you had the Chow Channel and Coughs Eats on. It was a really great episode, by the way, shout out to them. But I just have to say something. When I was listening to the episode, I was like, yeah, obviously, drums over flats 100% and the next day my dad ordered Nando's for the house and I was actually flabbergasted upon tasting the flats and realizing just how succulent flats are drumsticks literally pale into insignificance in comparison each wing I had 10 wings each wing I would look forward into sucking the juice out of the flat and that in-between bit that you think is going to be awkward, there are two bones, you don't know what to do. It made it more exciting for me, to be honest. It was like a challenge, a challenge of flavour. 10 out of 10. Thank you. Good night. It's 2 a.m. Um, but I just had to tell you that. Thank you, Genevieve. So if you listen to this episode, you know I was riding heavily for flats. But I think this is indicative of so much more than food. You see... You can live your life thinking a drum is better than a flat until a podcast like The Motion shows you the other side. And so I think that's linked to today's topic because it shows the importance of considering the other side of a topic or the other side of emotion to reconfirm or adjust your opinion. Did I just plug my own podcast within my own podcast? Absolutely. But let's get back into today's debate. The discussion we've had so far is about what these social media companies should be doing and what their policies should be. If we take a realist point of view, touching on sort of the investor side, what Zuckerberg really wants to do and Jack from Twitter is not preserve morality. It's sort of please their shareholders, please the advertisers who are on their platform and make sure that they keep the lights on. As much as we can have this conversation, really they're beholden to advertisers who in turn are beholden to their audience the mass audience really we are going to be governed by like populism in this debate not morality the internet has this rich libertarian history that defends free expression but this side of the motion should also remember uh, their love of private property if i run a restaurant and somebody is being rude to staff again and again i'm entitled to ask them to leave and if they refuse to i'm entitled to get help in removing them from the venue so the same should be applied here to the internet if i run a social media site where community guidelines are clearly being violated it seems correct that i can remove them from the platform they consented to the rules and the guidelines in the first place and therefore shouldn't be surprised when people begin to take libs with them. While I agree that when you sign up to Twitter, you sign up to their terms and conditions, these terms and conditions, one, are, are fluid, they're constantly changing, and from the time that I signed up in 2011, I'm sure they've become a lot more stringent. 
And second of all, I think we can all agree that there is a vast difference between being banned from, let's say, a pub or from McDonald's, depending on how much you value McDonald's, and being banned from Twitter. We've seen the, the power of social media from the activities of the last few weeks with the mass protests, the, the tragic death of George Floyd basically being broadcast around the world within one day, and everyone being on this. It, it has so much power. If there's a grievance, if there's an injustice in your life, that is the most powerful tool to get that out to the world. So there's a very big difference between being banned from that. And while, while it's not a human right yet, I do think it's heading towards that sort of realm. But for example, if you're a journalist and you don't have Twitter, building your public profile, you're hindered in that. There's plenty of occupations now where you are genuinely hindered if you don't have a public profile. While it's not a human right, very much more valuable. I'm glad you brought up the McDonald's thing because I actually have a personal story here about um, Viali's. We all went to Warwick and there was a chicken shop called Viali's that, you know, some people would like to frequent after a night out. I can't relate. But um, <laughs> in one of these rare times I was in Viali's, one of the security guards decided that they didn't like me. They then basically called the police and the police said, well, yeah, even though you haven't done anything, you have to go because it's private property. I don't think that's fair to be completely honest with you. It's sort of linked to this conversation because what ends up happening is a few people are deciding what is okay and what is not. So a lot of the times people who we hear about are removed are say like far right extremists. But I think there are far left extremists that also spread things that are equally harmful to be honest they're not really based on much fact and they're based on emotion it's just the emotion seems to be more socially acceptable and so i think given as pranav said the nature of social media and how many people are on there i feel like there needs to be a way to sort of publicize these private companies because at the end of the day there are a lot of people on there and i don't want to get kicked out of twitter like i got kicked out of viali's for existing. I completely agree that if you have too few a set of gatekeepers who is able to convey information, then this leads to all these problems down the line. Now, that's not a question of should banning be allowed or not. That's a question of public ownership and regulation, which is a different question and actually something that I would agree with. I think that some of these companies should be democratised like a lot more. For example is Google. Loads of people can own shares in Google, but only particular people can have voting rights within the company, so you have tiered shares. Markets don't work in that sense a lot of the time because, yeah, you can somewhat have a bit of control via uh, owning part of the company, but you don't necessarily get a say in how the day-to-day -day running operates. So that is absolutely a problem, and I think we need to tread carefully with this sort of stuff. I wanted to make an important point as well on misinformation because at the moment, studies show that misinformation travels faster on sites like Twitter and Facebook than the truth a lot of the time in these case studies. I think that's a real issue, but I really commend what YouTube do when they link to other websites. The problem is a lot of these people see these conspiracies as part of this new world order anyway. They see that as a sign that they're right. And it's quite worrying when you have these people that are already radicalized in that sense. So it's, it's, it's quite hard. I'm not gonna pretend I know what the de-radicalizing mechanism is. What we really want to stop is radicalization. When radicalization occurs is when there's mass groupthink and there's no one there to sort of counter these viewpoints. Now if you ban people off, off Twitter where there are actually let's say sensible people who are willing to counter uh, what people like Katie Hopkins, Tommy Robinson will be putting out there then suddenly they go to this place called Parley 
and they find a cesspit of racism and misogyny that they identify with, and there's no one to call them out on what they say. That what, a lot of what David Icke is spreading is, is incredibly harmful to society. I did actually agree with his banning in the current period that we're in, the coronavirus period, where we really need public health messaging to be as clear as possible. While I agree with that suspension, he became a sort of icon of that movement. And for the time being, I think he needed suspension and taking down. And I think that's what it will be. It's a suspension, not a permanent ban. When things get out of hand, I do think we should suspend. But I think that suspension should be the deterrent. And the permanent banning would only lead to the creation of other websites, which are just going to lead to to greater radicalisation. And it's even more damaging. And we don't realise how many alt-right Facebook groups there are. There's even a Twitter called Gap. And in comparison to a lot of people on these sites, Katie Hopkins ends up looking like Jesus, to be completely honest. Another aspect is that we're not really in as much control as we think we are over what we see. I think it's going to get a lot worse, but like the power of algorithms and automation. And I think now is the time while we do have power in air quotes to be putting the onus more on ourselves than you know signing petitions for people at the top to do things that they could really just do anyway i think that we should be reinforcing the little power that we have while we still have it yeah i think there is a major case for a call to action right now you get facebook actually quite gleefully producing reports that say we're able to manipulate people's emotions using certain news items certain statuses on your timeline these companies are able to monitor our feelings in an incredibly invasive way they have suicide detection algorithms that can monitor your messages and check to see how negative you are you might argue that's a good thing it's protecting you from from doing that but if you're having uh the the processing of your your messages in such an invasive way uh, this is a problem and i think a lot of people know this there's actually a, a particular kind of culture which is called hacktivist culture so it's lots of people that are trying to um, work within the bounds of Facebook or these companies to, as you say, to reclaim some sense of Id- identity agency power. I mean, you can see that with the All Lives Matter stuff is a good example. There were lots of All Lives Matter hashtags and people from the BLM movement clocked that this was taking up a large proportion of people's time. So they were putting loads of educational stuff on the All Lives Matter hashtag. And that's a really good example of people trying to work within the system to change the structure of power it does seem like such a big challenge that we're facing at the moment and people feel very powerless a lot of the time so in a world where people feel powerless should we not put the power back into their hands and asking them to not take responsibility over what they see but you've seen that how a black lives matter paid educational campaign can drown out the noise of all lives matter and that is a lot more powerful than say just removing everyone who has hashtagged all lives matter so would it not be better to put the power back into users hands and say you know what block or you know what drown it out rather than you know what I'm going to call up Twitter and ask them to remove it. I would like to think I could have uh, Jack on my speed dial and be able to <laughs> sort stuff out. But sadly, I'm not, uh, I'm not that well qualified uh, just yet. I think although I see the merit in that and it's a very empowering ideal image, think of the experience of someone like Diane Abbott. That argument is saying, oh, should Diane Abbott just block these people and forget about it? You look at all the abuse that she gets. It's an absolute disgrace. And for Facebook to not intervene is an abdication of responsibility. It's assigning personal responsibility to dealing with these problems. No person should have to go through that sort of stuff. On the Diane Abbott point, because I think that is a crucial point, I think much of the abuse that she receives is hate speech, harassment as well, and it incites hatred. I think we're crossing from talking about the grey area that we should be discussing 
to what is very clearly outlawed and is hate speech and should be enforced by the police. I obviously agree that the abuse she receives is completely unwarranted and is disgusting. And it's really sad that Twitter even allows it in the first place. I do think that the Twitter should control those kind of things and not bans them, but lets them know that if they do it anymore, there's going to be a problem. Warn, suspend. And if people turn out that they are complete bigots and will never stop doing this, then ban. But I think it should be at the last resort not the first step. The first step should be us blocking. I know it's very difficult for Diane Abbott to block, but that's why I think that police should be involved in the first place. In terms of like what body, so I guess State versus Jack or Mark, who do you think should really be in charge of making this regulation? Well, I think that's a false dichotomy. I don't think either. There's no way that you should have the State controlling our social media. Uh, I think that would be a recipe for disaster. You'd have complete overreach and you'd see what's, and, and Prana referred to China before, and that's a, a case study of what could potentially unfold if we went there. Um, but at the same time, I don't think that leaving it to a few market actors from Silicon Valley is also the, the right approach either. I, I believe in a much more democratised system where you will have the state involved in helping to um, regulate and be able to put in place some forms of checks and balances, but then have a much more representative decision-making process that gets people from different backgrounds, different genders, races and so on that help to make a lot of these decisions because then you can try and recreate the public sphere properly rather than have a few technocrats uh, do it for you. This might be a pessimistic view, but I don't think Zuckerberg really cares about morality. I think his main purpose right now is making sure that share price stays going up, his investors are happy and his advertisers are happy. I disagree. I, don't, I, I think he wants to change the world. I, I generally, so? Yeah, I generally believe that. Um, but how can he if there's an apocalypse? Well, exactly. I'm, I'm not saying that they're, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive concepts. He wants to change the world and wants to shape it in his own form. I mean, morality can be bad. He's perpetuating a particular system of values that he wants. The problem is it's normally in line with, as you say, uh, profits. They are, there is a similarity there. One of the most important problems with Pranav's position is this idea that Twitter and these social media companies are battlegrounds of ideas where people can make these decisions for themselves. Now, you want to try and create that space, and I think we need to strive for it. But it's very clear, I mean, we all know social media is a cesspit at times. Part of the reason, you know, we have limitations on how long you can make a Twitter post, for example, or you have algorithms that want to maximise people's user engagement, and that means that people will put out greater conspiracy theories because sometimes they're really exciting and engaging. On this whole social media as a cesspit, I completely agree. YouTube comments, cesspit, a lot of Twitter, segments of Twitter are complete cesspits of hatred. But... What I will say is, if you take those people off those platforms, take the Kate Hopkins, take the Tommy Robinsons off those platforms, they will just go to the other ones, and it's even worse of a place. It's becomes the Wild West, where there's no policing at all, and suddenly these, these views can run rampant when really they need to be controlled and combated. It's now time for me to make my decision, but before I do, I'm going to give Pranav and Tom a final opportunity to get me on their side. I think there's definitely a common ground here in the sense that none of these really do anything to solve the root issues of these problems. But in terms of free speech, which actually is the best way to guarantee that? If you put the power into the hands of the social media sites, they can still manipulate algorithms to control the things that we see. However, it is quite an unfair burden to also put on the users. And I'm just trying to see where I lie between these two things. 
the sort of paternalism that is inherent to the removal of accounts. It treats people as basket cases who could never be convinced. You know, these people are, are stuck in their ways. Uh, if David Icke says something, they're just going to agree with it. They have no opinions of their own. And therefore, we need to remove David Icke. We need to make sure that no one can see these things. No, I disagree with that. The discussion really shouldn't be how many people should be banned. It should be how do we improve this? First, the conversation should be which content of that grey area needs policing and needs suspension. That's another debate completely. There are times and there are periods where we need to ban people, but often I think we need to believe in the judgment of people. I think we need to provide yeah, the correct information, accurate information in the best way possible to persuade these people otherwise. I'm not saying that banning should be the thing that we go out and do straight away. I'm just saying that it should be an option and it should be one that is used lightly but used uh, properly and can be used with efficacy. When we think about, oh, well, if we just put a little comment there, is that Facebook just covering their own asses and saying, oh, well, we're technically not legally liable if anything goes wrong here because we've put our little caveat. But that's not necessarily tackling one of the big root um, causes of the problem. Now, also, banning itself isn't tackling one of the root causes of the problem. It's 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 a plaster over what can be a massive scar and you could argue that's a problem in itself but that doesn't mean that banning cannot be used um, appropriately at times okay so i've made a decision and this is based on the message that the extreme sides of each of these cases spread now i think that when you start with banning even if you start with a few bad apples the message it spreads is that people cannot say what they want to say and it still actually bigs up these people for they're seen as heroes or people who you know go against the social grain they've been banned from twitter it sort of like makes them a sort of anti-hero when you block them and when you mute them you give them less attention a lot of people like katie Hopkins really are doing these things for attention and I think removing them still makes them a sort of news item. It actually might accelerate the negativity of their messages rather than reducing it and for that reason I side with Pranav's side of the motion. So Pranav you've won this debate but you guys were both such great guests. I think one of my favourites so definitely check out the Spicy Takes podcast on YouTube. If you want to send a voice memo in do so via themotionpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at the motion underscore follow us on Twitter at the motion pod underscore rate review subscribe but most importantly have a great week Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.